Hey, this is Robbie Shaw. This is Patrick Balsley. And I'm Sam Hampson. And this is Champagne Problems, where we come together to explore the gray areas of drinking. This is a judgment-free zone where we can all take a look at how we make decisions about our relationship with alcohol. Hello, everybody. We are back in the studio today with episode eight. We are calling this one the gift of choice. And our guest today is Sarah Olin. She is a life coach, career coach, professional coach. She covers a lot of the... uh, coaching realm and she is located here in Charlotte but she works internationally actually I think she's she she works in Europe some and 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 all over she's um, a delightful person to speak with on this topic of choice and I would love to hear what my co-hosts think of when we discuss choice you know the idea of choice has always intrigued me since I've been in recovery well when I consider my life of learning actually started because before I stopped drinking I didn't really care what anybody had to say about anything had no desire to explore anything of this sort but I've been really lucky you know since I you know I don't really call it a choice to stop drinking I was kind of forced into it I've taken a lot of time to reflect on this idea of choice and I've explored a lot of different philosophies and um religions, if you will, kind of understanding of what that means. I've kind of come to this conclusion um, in my own life that, you know, the only way for me to really have a choice in anything is if I'm paying attention to what's happening here right now. Because so many of the things we do are ingrained to where, you know, we're, we're making unconscious, mm-hmm. you know, actions constantly, you know, throughout our whole day. But in order for us to actually have a choice, we have to examine what we're doing. Um, We have to be able to be aware of what's happening right in front of us in order to even have the ability to make a choice. And I had no idea that that was even a possibility before, you know, I stopped stopped drinking. What, What are you all's thoughts on this whole topic of choice? It's a newer concept to me. I think it's timely that we have Sarah on the episode today because I really didn't connect with this idea at all until I started working with her in my professional life. And I think this may be the case for a lot of folks where you don't contemplate your choices until you're really sick and tired of what is. Mm -hmm. And for me, that had nothing to do with alcohol. It was all professional. um, It was all misalignment in my core values, who I wanted to be, who I believed myself to be as a person versus the way that I showed up in the world and the way that I was constructing my daily life. And I still think it's a work in progress for me looking at choice and really understanding that it's not just when things are bad, you have a choice of what to do about it. It's also that I get to choose every single thing. Like you're talking about these autopilot things that we do every single day. Um, And some days I do a fantastic job and I wake up and I drink the water and I eat the breakfast and I do all of these things all throughout the day that snowball really positively because I actively think about what I'm doing and what I want. And there are other days where I'm robot mode. Um, And there's a really significant difference at the end of the day. 
it, so for me, it's a work in progress and it's a very new concept to me because prior to things not being so pleasant and having to kind of look at my choices, it likely just wasn't something I was doing. I was really good at doing what you're supposed to. Yeah. I think a really cool question is like, are we even making choices? You know, I think that's like kind of where this whole thing starts is once you kind of realize how much we run on autopilot and how many like choices that we have the ability to make, but we, but we're not doing it just because we're doing the same thing we've always done. It's scary. It's, it's almost, it's like disturbing for me. It was at least. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, for me, it's the, it's the thought versus the action, right? Like I can, I can choose to do lots of things, but then going and doing them (laughs) is the other part of it that actually means something. So, and I like you, Sam, this choice was just never, a. I never looked at it. I never really was educated on it. I didn't really speak to anyone on it. And I just defaulted through everything. And yes, there were consequences. And I have to explain that a lot of this was during my time in a in the throes of addiction where there was no healthy way of processing anything that was going on in my life. There was so much denial and so much dishonesty within myself that I just mm-hmm. had no idea, you know, what it even meant to to have a choice. Yeah. And of course now, you know, fast forward a bunch of years later and I'm still kind of being educated on it and, and applying it in certain areas of my life and, and understanding through trial and error that I can make choices and there are rewards to them mm-hmm. and I am in control. Yeah. I mean, I know there's, there's opposing thoughts on that, but in my little life, I can control lots of things about me. I can control how, how I react to stuff. You know, all, all my little behaviors throughout the day, I can control those. Do I? No. I'm working on it and I'm learning how, but you know, it's just, it's fascinating. And that you're responsible to your choice. I think a lot of times I was kind of looking around like very victim mentality, right? Like I don't like the way this is. And Sarah at the time very politely confronted me with wherever there's a complaint, there's a request, right? So what are you asking for? What do you need? What do you need to do instead? Um, because it was very much like, I just don't like this. I don't like that this is what work-life balance looks like in the United States. Like, it was so, like, far out of my control. And yet, there were so many choices all throughout my day, all throughout my career path that I wasn't making for myself. Yeah. And when I started doing those things, my life changed, like, pretty much 180 Um, as far as what was happening. And there was really nothing wrong with what was happening. From the outside, I was super successful at 26 and had like a wonderful fiance, had this wonderful life. But I was just really underwhelmed by what I had created, even though I kept being told that it was really impressive. And again, I'm in the field that I want to be in. Like there were a lot of things that were in line with what I wanted. And there were a lot of things that were really far out of line (laughs) with (laughs) what I wanted. (laughs) So just making those small adjustments just makes a world of difference. Yeah. And that's, that's another thing that is terrifying when we're looking at this topic. It's like one different choice can totally change the trajectory of the rest of your life. Oof, no pressure. Oh, yeah. I mean, and that's like, there's nothing more true than that. Choosing not to make a choice yeah. is a choice in itself. 
But I mean, it, you know, and I have this conversation with, you know, in, in my work, you, know, you guys are familiar with this, but it's something that I use quite often as an intervention with people that, you know, are really in, in a situation where they can harm themselves or, you know, other people. And they get to this point where they're like, oh, I don't really care. You know, I'm not going to treatment. And I always tell them, I'm like, the, you know, the decisions that you make over the next 24 to 48 hours are going to have a tremendous impact on the rest of your life. That's a very extreme situation. Sure. You know, in all honesty, some of the choices that we make every day or neglect not to mm-hmm. are just as important yeah. and can have just as a profound impact on where we're headed. You know, it's like that old saying, you set sail from, you know, Wilmington and you're two degrees to the right instead you know i mean you're 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 not gonna get where you're you're, trying to get yeah you're you're done there's so much power in in this topic and you know for people like me that had zero awareness um or understanding of the power of choice you know once this kind of sits and and you roll with it a little bit and have the curiosity to examine where your life is Mm-hmm. and how just a couple little shifts or turns of the dial can really have a tremendous impact on what your life could become. It's it's really cool. I'm really pumped to hear what Sarah has to say today. We're here today with Sarah Olin, my longtime friend and former life coach. Very happy to have you here, Sarah. We are honored that you have agreed to be a part of this. I would like to tell a quick little story, and it is, you know, I ran across Sarah Olin's information, you know, Charlotte Agenda ad. I mean, this was, I mean, I don't know, that was like seven years ago or something like that. It was was a while ago. I was working a completely different job, a whole different industry. And I saw an article about a life coach and I, and I had done my share of therapy for enough years and thought, you know, this is, this is something I ought to take a look at because I was considering moving out of what I was doing professionally. And so I contacted Sarah, you know, her voice automatically drew me in and, I, and, and, and we developed a relationship pretty quickly. And the part of the story that is fun is I was telling this exact story to my co-hosts and the production team, not knowing the former or the relationships that had already been established with you. (laughs) And I'm like, Oh yeah, yeah. You know, Sarah and this, Sarah and that. Yeah. Yeah. She changed my life. (laughs) And all of a sudden Sam goes, Oh my gosh, Sarah and she changed my life. And then, and then Meredith's like, wait a minute, she changed my life. And then I was like, I need her to change my life. It's like, I gotta meet her. So that is uh, how we think of you. And we are once again, very delighted that you're here today. So thank you, Sarah. Oh my gosh, thank you. You all are the best. I'm I'm honored and delighted and I have the best job in the world. So there's that part and I'm a professional coach and entrepreneur and I've had the privilege and pleasure of working with everyone from LCSWs to professional athletes to other entrepreneurs, lawyers, doctors, you name it, UN delegates. I've had a very, it's one of my favorite parts actually of my job is that I get to meet fabulous people from all walks of life. So it's a really dynamic career. I love it. I love 
people. So it's a good fit. So we have Sarah here today to, to discuss the power of choice. Mm -hmm. And the idea is that we would like everyone who's listening to understand that there is a choice. You have a choice. And Sarah's going to help us first recognize that as well as uh, how to make these choices. So I will start with what do you think alcohol is often getting in the way of that people might not want to look at? Oh, I think that we use alcohol to avoid the things that we don't want to deal with about ourselves and about other people as a weapon or as a way to avoid. When you're talking about avoiding the avoidance of others, I've heard you speak before about connection. Can you talk more about that and how alcohol kind of plays a role there? Yeah, it's interesting. It's, it's almost like we, we don't trust ourselves to be able to connect. You know, if you're going into a party or going into a conversation or let's have a drink, it's, a, it's like a complaint in a way. It's a cheap way to connect. Mm -hmm. It allows for more confidence and it's like a whoopee. <laughs> oh. uh, what is a whoopee? <laughs> a blankie. I, I don't know either. I'm just laughing. Oh. <laughs> a new new, like a, a lovey, like that. Yeah. An emotional whoopee. I think that's so deep though, Sarah, because what you're really talking about is this fear of inadequacy that we can do something that we're kind of wired to do. Like if I'm scared that I can't go to a party and connect with others when I really do have everything I need to be able to do that, the fact that you referred to it as like a cheap way to get yeah, there. I love that word. I love it. Cheap. Yeah. Well, and so often we do that early on, you know, when we're learning how to exist in those settings. It's like stripped you know, away from us at it, such a young age, the, the possibility or potential to learn that. It's like here, have a beer instead. Yeah, and mm -hmm. then and then it's it's not only easier; it's like you you times it by ten. Like it's oh, I'm I'm not I'm not only comfortable, I'm killing it. <laughs> that's what you thought. That's what, well, that's what it makes me think. I think one of the things that 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 I want to hear from you, Sarah, is like I've had a lot of conversations about you know jumping off and taking a good look at our drinking. What do we do after that when we decide? Or like if somebody, one of our listeners decides, okay, well, let me take a look at my alcohol use. Maybe I'll stop or maybe, you know, it's sober October or dry January or whatever those they do. What would you suggest for somebody that like after they've made the decision to, all right, I, I'm not going to drink for a significant period of time. As, as a professional coach, mm -hmm. what would be some of the, some of the key things that you would coach somebody through to examine during those times? Well, the very first thing that I would be interested in is why. Why, for what are they giving up alcohol? And is it to create more possibility in their lives or to decrease pain? Yeah. Mm. Right, and, and in either situation, if that's the case, if it's about the pain, we really need to get clear about what it's costing us all the way around. So the pain, we're really allowing ourselves to feel the pain and the impact of that choice. And if it's for something else, if it's if there's a big, beautiful what for, if there's pleasure and possibility and joy on the other side of giving it up, we've really got to be present to that. And they can actually work together mm -hmm. to support you in the choice. 
I love that. We've talked a lot about, you know, yeah. not always pointing out what's wrong with the drinking or that there is even necessarily anything wrong with the drinking. And I think a lot of times when we ask why that's the only answer is like, you know, why are you going to stop drinking? And the only place we find to go with that question is trying to evaluate what's wrong with it. And I have to consider that that may not be the case for a lot of our listeners. So I love that reframe of for what are you giving up alcohol or for what are you changing your alcohol use? Because it implies that there's something so much bigger that you want to obtain and, and maybe alcohol fits with it, but maybe it doesn't. Right. And a great example of this actually is my mother-in-law who's amazing. She's lost 50 pounds during the pandemic and her what for is her grandkids and health. And she wants to go on this pilgrimage that's includes a hundred mile hike. And at the beginning of the pandemic, she physically couldn't have done it. So she had this big vision to call her forth. And, and Sam, to what you were pointing to for most people, when they give up something, it's because the pain is so bad or they hate themselves so much. They hate what's so versus having a vision that's powerful and beautiful and, and based in love that's calling them forth. Yeah. Hmm. So interesting too, because that goal can pull you forward. And sometimes you can lose sight of the, maybe the whys or the, the problems or the issues, or, you know, even momentarily it's like, ah, well, it's worth it. You know, if I'm going to feel like crap again tomorrow, but when you really focus on that bigger future goal, it's like, it can just pull you forward in some of those moments that could really make a difference. Yeah. Yeah. It, it makes me think about the idea of like running towards something, but you also have something chasing you. Yes. Yes. King. That's exactly right. That's brilliant. Yes, sir. Right. You're either being chased by Chucky, the killer doll or running after the ice cream truck. What's it going to be? Right. Well, you're going to catch the ice cream truck a lot faster <laughs> if you got Chucky running behind you. Well, here's the thing. It doesn't have to be both. It can be, you know, yeah. we can create from anywhere. So why would we create from Chucky? We could just create from, I remember being a kid in the, we had frozen lemonade in Rhode Island. We didn't have ice cream trucks. So we would hear that jingle and it would be like, mom, dad, it's go time. Woo, woo, get the court. And then we were like in a lather and we were outside and, you know, same action, but from a completely different place, right? It's either joy or pain. So I, I prefer the frozen lemonade, personally. Sure. Italian ice, was it Italian ice? No, it's like a cousin, not quite. All right. You gotta taste it to experience it really. Gotcha. So, I, you know, I think a lot about how, and, and we already kind of referred to this a little bit, but there's there's a dependence that that is associated with it, with alcohol, uh, specifically in social situations, not so much the, or at least I want to use the example of social situations where, you know, you learn how to socialize, you learn how to be comfortable, you learn how to be funny, be entertaining, whatever it is you're trying to be around certain groups, you learn those things and alcohol absolutely makes that easier, possibly more effective. So if you come to a place that, you know, even if there's not all these consequences about your, your consumption and you just decide you'd like to pull it back a little bit and try a social situation without alcohol, you've got to relearn some stuff, mm -hmm. you know, and possibly not even relearn, just learn, you know, how would you coach someone through a scenario like that? 
I would, I think I would be in a, I would go in a slightly different door, Robbie, and look at trust and trusting ourselves, trusting other people and trusting the process versus having to relearn because people, people get funny. Um, and if, but if they trust themselves and they trust that things generally work out, including parties and all the things, or if they, if they have a powerful intention, for example, I'm thinking about uh, an art gallery and going to a gallery opening because you see a lot of this behavior where people are drinking and they start getting happier as the more drinks that they have, right? And maybe they're starting to buy some art and things like that. But so if, if I have an intention for that opening that um, my, my intention tonight is really to connect, is really just, or to listen, it takes that pressure to perform or be a particular way off of me. And now I'm more interested in you and it's not about my drama. Yeah. It gives you a target too. Yeah. Focus on. So you're yeah. not out there floundering in terror. Well, and, and it's all, it's okay to not be, you know, entertaining and funny and all those things you can just be. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and that's not your job necessarily. I mean, it's, great if that is who you are. But I, I think it's it's funny because that's one of the things I love the most about coaching is that I get on the phone and for an hour, it's no longer about me and it's no longer about my drama and my crap. I'm, it's about yours now. Woo! <laughs> so much better. <laughs> right? So if we can take us out, it's it, it can be a really powerful thing. What I'm thinking through just the you know, you mentioned kind of going through a different door to get there. I think mine was totally different, but it was also something that you put words to once I had already done it and didn't realize that that was one of the barriers for me. And for me, it was always, I didn't, I felt uncomfortable or I felt fearful about what it was going to be like. And I'm thinking specifically about my best friend's bachelorette party and thinking what, you know, how weird it was going to be that I was sober and like, still going to have to like dance with the girls at the bar and like, how am I going to do that sober and all the fear around it. And, you know, in some of our work together, one of the, the biggest barriers that was kind of knocked down was you don't actually have to resolve those feelings or that fear to go do it anyway. <laughs> like you can actually do it while you're scared. Yeah. And so it's not a prerequisite to resolve whatever discomfort or feeling I have around it. As long as I go do it, I've already started that new behavior. I've already tried it. I've already learned something. And so I think that was part of it for me. I, you know, there was no way to get out of it. I wanted to go. And it was like, I'm just going to have to go uncomfortable rather than being like, how do I make myself comfortable? Well, it wasn't super comfortable the first time. But after that time, when I realized it was just as much fun, I didn't feel like crap and I didn't need a nap like by 11 a.m. the next day, it was great. But just knowing that you don't have to resolve very normal feelings around it to go do it anyway. Yeah. yeah. And I think that a great question to ask when we're going into something new, fear, when fear shows up, I think it's a great opportunity for curiosity and the question, what do I need? what would support me? How could I set myself up to win at the bachelor party or going out for the first time and I'm practicing abstinence or whatever it is? Mm -hmm. 
That makes me think of a quote I heard recently, and it was, um, don't try to decrease the fear, try to increase the courage. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a, that's a question I have for you, Sarah, is like, what, what are some of the tools that you use to help people kind of pump themselves up and, and build up the courage to, you know, walk in those unknown spaces? Yeah, I, well, I love that this episode is about choice because the very first thing, most people are trying to get to the how, but once you've chosen something, the how starts to work itself out. Mm -hmm. So really choosing powerfully and then continuing to re-choose and empower your choice. And it's something we do in different areas, right? For people who are married and in long-term committed relationships, you're re-choosing your choice over and over and over again. So it's, I think there's an opportunity to flex that, that muscle around really choosing. And I was working with a client this morning and she was talking about having a hard conversation at work and how to do it. And I said, we're skipping a step. You haven't actually chosen who you want to be about this. You haven't actually said, I'm a leader and this is where I stand. And she was, she kept trying to figure out the how before she really chose. So I think that always when the choice is strong, the how becomes easier. Sarah, you also mentioned that you can create from anywhere right? And that you don't have to be at a specific spot on any kind of spectrum or any place in your life to just choose differently, reinvent, which is one of my favorite words that you use and just recreate something or create it brand new. Can you talk a little bit about how that would apply to our listeners, maybe wanting to take a look at their alcohol use? <sighs> yeah, I think that, you know, it's funny, my, my teacher, my yoga teacher, uh, Huddy used to say, every breath you start again, your whole life starts again with every breath that you take, right? And if we believe that, then there's, we have infinite chances or as many chances till we die, right? There's always an opportunity in the next moment to choose and re-choose. And I think we're so damn hard on ourselves that we don't allow for our own humanity and, and to try again and to relate to it as a muscle that we're building versus it's perfect. I did it exactly right. Yeah. It's like, no, <laughs> you're a human, bad news. <laughs> I have lots of acquaintances and friends that are in the world of business and sales and those kinds of roles. And so often, and we've talked about this, you know, quite a bit so far is uh, so frequently alcohol is, it plays a role in, in, in that, um, you know, business deals and, and, you know, after hours getting together and getting loose and really talking the way that they, you know, those kinds of things. Do you ever run across professionals who are in that world and may have to pull alcohol out of it? For sure. Absolutely. And it's, it can be really, really hard for people. And, you know, it's interesting because when people come into, when I first meet someone who's interested in coming into my practice, we, we have that conversation, particularly if they're bringing alcohol up as an issue, because if they're actively addicted, coaching is not a good match. It's not a good fit. 
I work with lots of people in recovery and typically it's a year minimum because the coaching process is confronting, right? Mm -hmm. So, but it is, um, and I think that's been one of the, the gifts of the pandemic is that that stuff has been basically went away for a minute, right? There's no, my husband who's really active in the community has his own nonprofit. He was at events all the time, all the time, you know, three nights a week. And now it's like no no events, (laughs) no events. So we've been given that gift this year, um, but it's absolutely a challenge for people. What do you encourage in that space when it's, you know, we kind of put it in this safe box back there of that's just the culture of my company, or that's just my cultural background, or that's like, we kind of give ourselves those little pockets of permission. And how do you still make different choices or create from a place where you're already kind of dug into this is just how it is, even though it doesn't work for me. That's rough. I feel like that Sam is is a borderline addiction issue, mm. right? If you if you see something's not working for you and you continue to choose it, that's that's a that's a red that's a flashing light to me. Yeah. Um, in my, I think my um, the couples therapist that my husband and I see, I think he does a great job about this. He talks about addiction and alcohol abuse. In many Americans, I think abuse alcohol and aren't necessarily addicted. Um, But I think when it's, hey, this really isn't working out for me. And yet I continue to choose it over and over again. Again, Robbie, you were talking about that gray area. It's gray leaning into very dark gray. (laughs) Very dark gray. Very dark gray. Stormy. Stormy, stormy. Absolutely. So I think it's you know, I think we've got to be really, really honest with ourselves. If we can't make those changes, why not? Absolutely. Absolutely. I love that. And then, and then for the professionals that, that do, you know, that are in those situations to where they do decide to make a choice and have the ability to make a choice to walk into that environment, you know, where everybody's drinking and it's kind of like a, you know, a social norm. How do you talk to some of your clients to empower them, you know, to, to stand in that choice comfortably and confidently, like what, what would be some of the, you know, coaching techniques that you would use in order to, you know, make people, you know, empower themselves in a situation like that? Yeah. I might look at a couple of different things in that scenario where one, if they're concerned about it, they might look at having conversations beforehand with with different people who are the usual suspects around have a beer have another one or that kind of thing um around boundaries like hey i just want you to know i'm i'm taking some time off drinking and i would really appreciate it if you didn't if you didn't ask me because the answer is no Yeah. And that's a really vulnerable, bold thing, but there's culturally things are shifting where companies need to be very, very careful around mental health, around what their policies are and what happens, you you know, there's just, it's getting, it's, it's actually starting to shift and these things aren't as permissive as they once were. 
um, which I think is a great thing, but I think it takes vulnerability on the part of the individual and ownership to be willing to own their experience and be responsible for it. You're choosing to be there, then you've got to decide who you're going to be about it. And it could politely excuse yourself. It could be letting people know beforehand, drinking soda water or, you know, you know, carrying around a big <laughs> Alcoholics Anonymous books and being like, uh -huh. not today, Satan. <laughs> I'm out the game, right? Or like, you can always just pretend you're drunk. <laughs> exactly. You know, I'm on heavy meds, so I'm not drinking tonight. You feel me? You know what I mean? <laughs> Whatever. I mean, and, and here's the thing. I just want to put this in. Um, people are so nutsy about what other people think people are going to put their attention on you for 10 seconds and then they're going to be back on themselves. They don't care that much. Yeah. You're not that important. I'm sorry, but that's part of it too. An overinflated sense of self and ego. It's like people don't really care that much. If they can have theirs, they don't care what you're doing. <laughs> yeah, totally. So true. I have a client that I work with that we, we worked on just saying, nah, man, not right now, maybe later. And I guarantee you later they're drunk and they don't remember to offer you the shot again. And came back this week. He's like, it worked. He's like, that's so crazy. You know, he's like, they don't, it was my birthday. Like he didn't even ask me again. Like he was shocked. And I'm like, cause he doesn't care. And like, cause he's drunk. A hundred percent. They really just don't. It's, it's terrible to say, but it's true. <laughs> Sarah, how do you think support plays a role in making life-changing choices like this for someone who's drinking a lot and decides to back out or at least back out some, what is, what role does support play? Support is huge, right? We're, um, we're hardwired for connection and, and to be together in community. That's, I mean, my job is basically a professional support person and to remind people of what they said, even when they no longer feel like it. Huh. That's why people hire me because they know that alone, we're not reliable, right? So we hire the trainer, we, we get an app or, or whatever it is. Support is huge. It's everything. If you, if you're really wanting to change something or transform something, get supported. I mean, that's, it's Number huge. Yeah. 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 Can't say enough about it. It makes a lot of sense. Yeah. You know, if you can't do something on your own, find some help. Yeah. But it's also yeah. extremely hard. Yeah. Because you're, you're being honest and truthful and exposing things and vulnerability and that stuff's hard, especially for someone who falls under the, the uh, dependence of alcohol. I think it's so cool that you called that support. Cause if you had yeah. listed all those things out, I would have called that accountability mm -hmm. and you're calling it support, which feels so loving and warm. Yeah, <laughs> it can be. <laughs> I think, um, you know, I think accountability is love, but often we don't see it that way or it doesn't occur no. that way for, for a lot of us, accountability feels like a punishment and probably because we created it that way. Yeah. Dun, dun, dun. But in reality, it's pushing us towards our potential. Yeah. In reality, if we chose it, it's what we want. Yeah. I love that. Sarah, what do you want to say as Sarah Olin about choice 
on alcohol use? What are the things that we haven't tapped into that you feel strongly about or that you would share around choice? Choice is power and choice is freedom. And, you know, with alcohol, it's, to me, it's a little trickier because. Like the person that drinks, you know, a couple, couple glasses of wine three times a week. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it's personal and you have it choice. (laughs) You have a choice always, always, always. And that's a powerful thing. It's not something to be victimized by. If you're going to choose something, empower the hell out of it. I don't care if you're having Doritos for lunch, empower it, right? Or if you're going to stay up till midnight watching Bridgerton again, empower it, right? (laughs) Just don't, don't use your choices as a weapon against yourself because that's just so, that's such an unkind thing to do to yourself. Choice is, uh, choice has always been hard for me. Cause I've always fallen into the quotes addictive personality. So, you know, one day I, I want to do something and the next day I don't, and I know ultimately I do want to do it, but that right. next day I talk myself out of it and convince myself I don't want it. Yeah. And I think Robbie, I think that's a, that's a real normal human thing that, you know, I'll get really excited about writing my book and I'm going to do it and this is it. And then a thousand other things come and it goes to the bottom of the list. Right. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to be super healthy. I'm having abs this summer, <laughs> no matter what. And then it's like chips, <laughs> chips, chips, <laughs> you know, so part of choice is commitment and not just our feelings. Feelings are crazy and fabulous, but not reliable, right? They change like the weather, but when we have really strong commitments, those don't change, right? Robbie, you've been married for what? 15, 18 years, something crazy. Yeah. 12. Long time. So, you know, there's a big commitment there. You don't always feel like it, but you're doing it <laughs> every day, Sarah. I oh, feel it Robbie. every minute of every day. Ashley, you're a queen. Static <laughs> about it every day. But that's you know that's the level of commitment you know. And and for those of us with children, you know, sometimes we get super pissed off at our kids, and it just doesn't mean anything because it's a feeling. It's like whatever. I'm still committed to being your mom. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So all right, then that opens a little bit of a door because I love this topic because commitment. I mean, I, I talk about it all the time. It's, it's, it's what I consistently work with clients on and it does go back to choice and talking yourself out of it and all that. So how, you know, how do you stick to a commitment? And, and let me just say, you know, there's oftentimes, you know, I reach this place with my, um, you know, alcohol consumption where I, I had to make a commitment or, or else, uh-huh. right. It was this huge or else. And so, my commitment became very, very non-reversible, <laughs> if that's a word, you know? And, and so anytime that there was a, a desire to drink or a desire to do this or whatever, it was always like, it's not an option. That, that is not an option. So it's kind of wow. like getting a fight with your wife. It's like, well, I want to move to Hawaii. This sucks, but that's not an option. Right. But Robbie, you created it that way. Yes. 
So how do you get, how do you create that in people without mm -hmm. having to hit some <laughs> level of major <Darkness>. consequence, <laughs> if not? Yeah, I think it's part of that vision conversation um, and in alignment, right? So I think about it through the lens of my business and what I'm committed to in the world. Um, and it's funny, one of the things I'm working with right now, because there are parts of building a business that I love and there are parts that suck. It's the same thing with a commitment. And if you're really present to the vision, to the what for, and you were super present to that with Ashley, if, if you didn't, there were going to be huge consequences that you didn't want. Mm -hmm. Right. So you created it as non-negotiable. Anybody could create that anywhere because they say so. Yeah. But this is also where that conversation around support comes in and how do I get yeah. my head around that and, yeah. and create it so it's bulletproof. Yeah. I yeah. wanted to chime in on, on, on this because I think, I think those two things go hand in hand. I mean, once that commitment is made, the only way that anyone's ever going to be able to follow through with something like this mm -hmm. Or when those, you know, when it's a big, you know, shift in your life that has been ingrained for so long, the support has to be there. Yeah. It's the only way it's going to happen. Yeah. And you have to assume that motivation, the big M word that I don't like, and feelings are going to fluctuate. That has to be an assumption as part oh, of it. Oh, yeah. 100%. Because a lot of times we're, oh, I don't feel motivated. Well, so what? Do it anyway. Yeah. What are you committed to? Yeah. And people mess up all the time. Yeah. So part of the strategy is really, really familiarizing with yourself, you know, expecting these things to, to come up tomorrow or next week or whenever and preparing for them with support and accountability. Totally. Yeah. Expect and welcome breakdowns. I mean, it's part of life. I think that's part of um, the problem is that people think, you know, if it's hard, then they get like, oh, I'm doing it wrong, or this must not be the thing. It's like, no, no, yeah. that's part of it. Yeah. Yeah. Right. It's, it's the full spectrum. Life is good, you know, great days and shitty days. It's the whole enchilada. So you've, you've got to expand your capacity and bandwidth to be with the bad days in the moments that you don't feel like it. Yeah. Comfort in your discomfort. Yeah. Resiliency. Yeah. Buzzword. 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 Yeah. Totally buzzy. Thanks. Sarah, to be totally honest, one of the worst things that we ever did together in our work was me having to create a dream of some sort and draw it. And <laughs> it was awful. And it was very difficult because I had to ask myself, what do I want? What do I want? What do I want? And I think maybe 19 times a day was like the minimum I was allowed to do that. Um, and it was really hard and I'd love for you to just speak a little bit on how does someone create a vision for something different? How do they begin creating? Yeah, that is a great question. I think that it depends on the person. For some people, they're really, the vision is very close to the surface for other people there's work that has to happen before they can get to the vision, yeah. right? Because there's so much, 
I never could. My dad always said this about me. There's, there's so much to unpack before you can actually get to the vision. So know thyself and look at, you know, what's in the way when we, um, one of the metaphors I use with coaching is imagine your dream house, you see it, it's for sale, the price is right. It's like, glory, it's mine, woo! And then you get inside and a hoarder lives there. So all the possibility starts to go away. So part of the coaching process is unpacking all the crap so there can be possibility again. So before you can get to a vision, people actually have to have facility with possibility and dreaming and their needs, right? You hated that question. What do I need? Mm -hmm. Because it's so much more comfortable to think about what Patrick needs and what Robbie needs and what Meredith needs and what Charlotte needs and what I need versus what Sam needs. Yeah. So, and it's actually scary and dangerous for people if they've never really let themselves want or desire. Like if you've always done what was expected of you and, you know, you went to college and then you got the job and then you got the wife and then you wake up, you know, and then 2.5 kids and you wake up one day and you're like, this really sucks. And it's like, well, what do you want? (laughs) So it's, I don't know. (laughs) Hard to say. Tell me. Yeah. Yeah. So it, it, it really depends on the person, but you know, it really is that question. What do you want? Yeah. And then what's in the way? Yeah. I love that you're managing expectations around. Sometimes you have to clear the garbage out first Mm -hmm. before you can really get clear or before you've got that capacity to start building or creating. I think it, it just helps normalize for whoever is listening that's like I don't even know where to start like that all sounds great but and for those folks what would you try to reinforce um little little steps read some books get a therapist do some work yeah you know I love um that old chestnut, you are a badass by Jen Sincero. It's so great. It's so basic. It gives you some really fundamental tools, the basics. Yeah. Like, and, and the biggest one being, if you don't like something, do something about it. My wife loves that book. Yeah. It's so great. good. Yeah. And I, I think I love the start small. Cause for me, even with that exercise, it was like quickly realized I had to back it all the way up. And I think at that point it even started with like, you know, literally throughout your day, ask yourself, what do you want? What do you want? What do you want for breakfast? Do you want to be watching TV or do you want to go take a bath instead? Like what you don't want Panera again today for lunch, I promise you. So what do you want? <laughs> I mean, that in itself just breeds mindfulness too. Even yeah. if you don't yeah. know the answer to it, the fact that you're asking yourself that question all day long, you're becoming more aware of your thought processes, you know, your feelings. There's also you know, a chance that it translates then into your alcohol use, right? Yeah. Do I want this? Yeah. Do I want a glass of wine or am I just thirsty? But it develops that, you know, we talked about it earlier, that that level of curiosity that needs to be in place before really any change can happen. Totally. And I love that. Well, Patrick, and you said it, awareness is the, it's the first step in transforming anything, having that awareness. And then the second part is taking aligned action because if we don't take action awareness just becomes the booby prize so it's 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 all of it and it's progressive 
you know, it's, it's one thing at a time. I'm constantly thinking about it, but I, I always think about it differently. I think about devil on my shoulder and angel on my shoulder and <laughs> self-conscious and all that kind of stuff, because I just, I've constantly dealt with what I consider my self-conscious letting me know that I'm not behaving the way my, I'm not in line with my morals or I'm <laughs> not in line with whatever it is inside of me that, that I want, you know, I mean, I can ask myself what I want, but I'm not sure. I'm not sure I'm accurate each time or consistent. I, like, I don't know, but I can listen to myself and, and, and these red flags pop up on how I feel based on a, a behavior that I just did, mm-hmm. you know, and, and then I can kind of learn from it that way. There is always a choice, always, always, always. And, and choices are phenomenal gifts and opportunities. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Standing Nugget. ovation. Nugget. Thank you. That's so much, it's simple. We, we make it, we make things very hard and complicated. We humans, we're very good at that. Yeah, we do. Yes, we do. Sarah, we cannot thank you enough. You are a doll. You're a doll. Oh my gosh, my pleasure. I love y'all. You guys are the best. This is such a, an amazing gift that you are giving. How was it to have the person that changed your life on this podcast today? Well, that was just phenomenal to me. I thoroughly enjoyed that. I I absolutely admire Sarah Olin for so many reasons. You know, like I said before, she she did change my life. She truly helped me change the course of my life for the better. I'll, I'll add that for the better. <laughs> uh, she's very effective. Um, so just having her on here and and being able to pick her brain on on this particular topic was just I don't know. It was it was an honor for me, and and I know other people know her as well. So I assume it was an honor for you all too. I got a question for you, Robbie. Is this what you wanted it to be? <laughs> this is exactly what I wanted it to be, and more. It is. It is so far exceeded my expectations. When I sat down and said, hey, I want to create a podcast, this is not what I envisioned. <laughs> this is so much more than what I envisioned. I, I don't even, I don't know how to put it into words, honestly. So we're wrapping up an eight-part series. Uh, today was episode eight called The Gift of Choice. We have covered lots of topics throughout this series from things like the normalization of alcohol to impacts for women to overall wellness to grief. Lots of important bits of information that we're walking away with. I want to ask my co-hosts what you all thought of this series as we wrap it up and if there's anything that you think our listeners should walk away with most importantly. I'm going to cry. Oh, please do. Please do. (laughs) Seriously. Anytime I, I feel that, that I'm a part of anything that kind of falls in line with what I value, um, I do, I really do, I get emotional. This happens when I tell my story, it, it, you know, in 12-step meetings, it happens when, you know, I'm working with families sometimes that, you know, remind me of, of mine. This is exactly why I do what I do, you know, because I, I want people to have access to the information that I didn't have access to um, when I really needed it the most. And, you know, I know for a fact that 
There's a bunch of people out there struggling right now. There's a bunch of people out there that, you know, have taken the last year to examine their lives. I mean, that's been one of the silver linings of this whole thing. Um, You know, they've had to be around their families more. They've had to, um, you know, re-examine their financial situations, re-examine or or look at all these relationships, you know, to to their family, to themselves, to their work, to the world. Um, And everything's, you know, it's magnified right now. You know, one of the things that we like to do as human beings is avoid certain situations and a lot of the stuff that's happened over the last year has been painful what a perfect time to have a drink so i think the timing of of what we've done here couldn't have been better um and i'm just um so happy that i was able to be a part of it and honored honestly um but yeah i mean we covered so much my hope for the people listening to this podcast it's it's really one thing and that's to start taking an honest look at their relationship to alcohol you know one of the things that we talked about today on this last episode was was support and it it was really hard for me to be honest about my relationship with alcohol without actually having conversations with other people um so I, i'm hoping that you know, you don't just listen to this podcast by yourself. Um, I hope that you share it, and this leads to, you know, conversations within your family, within your friend group, and hopefully, you know, you all can start supporting each other to make more healthy choices in your life that are going to have, you know, positive impacts on everybody that you not only relate with now, but um, everybody that you're going to touch in the future. So that's my two cents. I love you guys. I'm just, I'm excited to, uh, do this again. (laughs) Thank you, brother. Thank you. Yeah, I think it's huge. Anytime I, you know, this is not something I expected necessarily to be part of, but I knew that it was happening pretty close to the inception of it, I think, and was like commenting on every post. Like I was so pumped to hear this information. And I think, it makes so much sense. Well, I actually don't know if it makes any sense at all for us three to come together and not actually talk about our work, but talk about our relationships with alcohol. Mm-hmm. Um, because to me, that was always a really big, that was a missing piece. That was a missing piece of the conversation. And what I needed back when I was taking an honest look at my relationship with alcohol was just people to talk to about it without feeling like it was drifting into a lane of calling it problematic Mm -hmm. or saying that there was anything like really concerning about it. I just, you know, I, for any, I don't know who started listening to this podcast, right? Like, I don't know why you clicked on it, but I know that if you've made it to this final episode, that there's something speaking to you as far as just questioning, just let me take a look. And so my hope for anyone out there is just that you're able to put alcohol on the table with all of the other life things that you sort through and look at and make choices around. Um, and if you can do that, man, that's, that's a really good start. And it's something that I wish I had modeled for me. Um, but it's also something that I just think is, like Patrick said, so timely. I mean, the the amount of folks over the past year that have 
a totally new relationship or completely different relationship with alcohol than ever before makes this conversation so important. So please don't be scared to talk about it and think that it has to end in a quitting conversation. Talk to your peeps about it. Talk to anyone about it. Please just start talking about it. Thank you, Sam. It was a pleasure having you on here. Thank it's you. It's been awesome. Taking the group chat to a whole new level. Put us in front of mics and it's trouble. Uh-oh. Obviously, this was... The inception was my baby. I do not claim this to be all mine. You all made this what it is, not me. So I can't thank you all enough for that. And uh, for all the listeners out there, you know, my goal from day one was to inform. That's, That's all it is. That truly is all it is. We touch on lots of different parts of this thing, and all it really reverts back to is having the information. And I think in the world of alcohol, the majority of people are lacking that information for lots of different reasons. And obviously in the world that we work in, we get to see the grimy shit. Mm -hmm. You know, we see the dirt, we see the destruction and therein lies our passion. And, and not to say that, you know, all drinking goes that way or, or it's, or it's all headed that way or it's all bad. That's not at all what we're doing here. It's informing you of all things alcohol. Mm -hmm. We want you to make a well-informed decision on your relationship with it, period. Thank you all for listening. Spread love. The information and opinions shared on this podcast are solely those of the hosts and guests and not a substitute for medical advice. If you feel like you may need professional help, here are some resources. For the Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Administration hotline, call 1-800-662-4357 or visit samsa.gov. For listeners in the Charlotte, North Carolina community, visit dilworthcenter.org or call 704-372-6969. Or visit theblanchardinstitute.com or call 704-288-1097.